So as you can see, we're doing something a little different today. And I knew being up here right next to Justin, I had to get a haircut because <laughs> Justin's styling. And uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm overdue. But you called me fresh. I, I did call you fresh. <laughs> <laughs> I meant that in a good way. I know, I know you did, and I appreciate that. So, um, so what we're doing today as... Justin referred to in his prayer moments ago, is we're going to provide an overview of the whole book of 1 Corinthians. It has been four months since we started this series, and it's been a really incredible journey for me and I hope for many of you. Um, so this morning, we're going to give our respective views of where we've come from and what we've learned. And a couple months ago, I, I described what Justin and Allison and I do as we prepare sermons each week. We ask what, so what, and now what? And so today we're going to lean towards the so what and the now what. Um, a lot of times in sermons, we focus on the what. So, And we're also going to banter. Is that... We're ready? Oh, yeah. You guys up for that? Okay, good. And there's water, too. So if you haven't been with us, maybe you're here for the first time today or you've just been here a few weeks, um, we have been reading, we call it a book of the Bible. It's a letter. It's a really long letter. It's a letter unlike anything we would write today. And it's written by this guy, Paul. The Apostle Paul, we call him. Apostle means messenger, one who's sent from God. And so where we've come from is uh, we have, we a few times have divided the book into different sections. And the key issue at the heart of the book is that the church in Corinth, which Paul founded, uh, was experiencing all kinds of conflict and division. So the first section of 1 Corinthians, he identifies that, and we have an overview. He identifies the division in the church there, and he talks about how they're divided into different factions, they're following their favorite preacher, their favorite leader in the church, and how it was tearing them apart. And then secondly, he gets into some of the issues they were facing. So one of them in particular is that Corinth was a, a, a culture a city that, that had a culture a lot like ours, and they worshiped pleasure, and sex was a big part of that. And so we looked at what Paul says about love, sex, marriage, singleness, and divorce. And the third part of this letter talks about more general cultural questions, like how do I know as a Christian where to draw the line? Um, so the issue in particular that presented itself in Corinth was whether Christians could eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols. Now, we don't have that issue, but we might ask, you know, should a Christian do a certain job? Uh, should a Christian smoke pot? We're not going to go there today. Should a Christian play Dungeons and Dragons? Should a Christian get involved in politics, or how should a Christian vote? You can see there's, it's almost limitless, the number of questions you could ask. So that was chapters 8 to 10. And most recently, we've come through the section of 1 Corinthians where it talked about worship. And, and this was the issue that really tore them apart. So uh, speaking in tongues and the gift of prophecy, Allison preached on that last week. And we've looked at how the Holy Spirit is 
wanting to unite the church rather than see division and gives us gifts for that. So next week, we have one more week in the series. Uh, that will be the grand finale, I guess, uh, chapter 15, uh, which is about the resurrection of Jesus. And so if you've ever wondered, you know, what will heaven be like? What is this? We talk about eternal life. Uh, what does that look like? Is it, you know, people floating on clouds or is it, will I be running through meadows? Those are not the only two options. So we'll, we'll talk about that next week. So I want to start us off uh, in chapter one. So I'm going to read chapter one, verses one to nine. Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God in Corinth to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. So here Paul's laying a foundation for the whole letter. And he's saying that you are the church, which means those who are gathered, those who have been called and gathered together. He's saying you've been sanctified in Christ Jesus, which means you are transformed completely. You're holy you are made new in Christ. And then he says you're also called to be God's holy people. So there's, there's something that's established. It is done. It is finished. You've been made new. But also there's this day-to-day -day journey that we're on as the church to be holy and to hold to that. He goes on, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you've been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. So again here, he's establishing a foundation for the Christians in Corinth and for us. He's saying it starts with grace. He says grace and peace, this historic Christian greeting. And then he says he thanks God for them because of the grace given to us all in Christ. And then he says, you've got everything you need. He doesn't start by telling them off because they're so divided, because they are such a poor witness to Christ. He says, you have been enriched in every way with all the gifts you need. You don't lack anything, he says. And then finally he says, you will also, he will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. So he's saying there's an end to this. There's, we're, we're headed for a certain destination. And he's saying that as you eagerly wait for the Lord Jesus to be revealed in your day-to-day -day lives, but also at the end, he is with us ensuring that we can last and finish well, and God is faithful in that. And then he came, he came in the next part of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he came to the issue of factions in the church. And we saw that here he gives us really the point of his whole letter, his thesis statement, if you want to think of it that way. He says, we preach Christ crucified. So he outlines the different leaders they followed, their different teams, their different parties, and then he says, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. So he's saying at the heart of how I'm going to deal with this, at the heart of how God is calling you out of how divided you are in the church and really how divided the whole world is, and that clearly applies to our cultural setting as well, is the cross of Jesus. And 
as you focus on that and as that changes how you're going to behave towards each other, it will establish the hope you need and a basis for dealing with division. So his focus is constantly on Jesus in this opening section. So then he kind of gets into this, you know, really much more specific examples of conflict and uh, it gets pretty intense pretty quick because in chapters kind of four through six and even beyond that a little bit, um, he gives these, uh, these overviews of issues that have popped up in the church. And even in chapter four, um, those factions that Alex um, referred to, you see them here as well, where followers of Paul and followers of Apollos are kind of trying to figure out their way here. And, and Paul has a bit of an interesting response to some of these internal conflicts. He says, at one point in chapter four, he says, do not go beyond what is written. And at the time, that would have likely meant the Hebrew Bible as well as the written sayings of Jesus. They didn't have the Gospels yet, um, but no doubt they had the words of Christ in, in some form or another. Um, Paul knew many of them, um, and they had already started to spread within uh, the church in written form. And Paul seems to be saying that with, with, with respect to all the conflict, have your mind shaped by the teachings of Scripture. This is the way forward with respect to conflicts. And so in chapter five, we get to sort of exercise that a little bit. And that was the infamous case of incest in the church. And the people in the church, they weren't dealing with it. They were permissive of something that even the culture, uh, let alone scripture, was, uh, would, forbid, would forbid. Even among the secular or pagan Corinthian people, this was something that was seen as wrong. And Paul was obviously outraged at this actual act, but it seems like he was actually more so outraged at the church's lack of response, their complacency. In fact, he describes them as proud. One of the learnings for us here is about tackling issues directly. When we notice a fellow congregant who is struggling in some way, or we find them in a harmful pattern of behavior, do we just do nothing? Do we publicly shame them? I hope not either of those. Or do we approach them with a spirit of love and truth and see how they respond? There's a beautiful restorative process that can take place that sometimes the church, Big C Church, doesn't particularly do very well. And then in 1 Corinthians 6, we see the situation of a lawsuit uh, being lobbed from believer to believer. And Paul's frustration here is kind of, he's like, guys, you have the mind of Christ. You should be able to deal with this stuff. You are equipped. And uh, one thing that came up in our talk back that didn't make its way into my sermon that morning was regarding, I think it was Crystal uh, Wiley asked a question just about, okay, where are the limits of that? Because are there times where you need to get outside, you know, uh, law enforcers or lawyers or whatever involved? And we're kind of seeing some of that with the... Um, the revelation of some of the stuff that's come out with the Southern Baptist Convention and issues of sexual abuse in the church. And there are many, many reasons why we should not deal with things internally. It would be beyond the skill and experience of church staff and elders to deal with issues of that nature, especially abuse. Authorities should be reported. Paul here in chapter six seems to be speaking more about kind of squabbles, 
personal, financial, or perhaps property-related issues, things that followers of Christ should have the maturity to deal with before it escalates. So the question that arose for me that we're going to kind of open it up to the three of us here, the question that kind of arose for me was, how do we as a church address conflict better? Especially in this increasingly polarized world, it feels more and more challenging to do this well. Every conversation, it seems, feels more heightened these days. So how do we as a church do this better? I hope that you're thinking about that. I know that we are, and I'd invite Alex or Allison to kind of offer some thoughts. Well, I think one of the things is that we are um, losing the ability, the art of listening to people who might think differently from us. I think it's easier and easier to surround yourself with voices that are saying the same thing as you. And when you hear somebody saying something different, um, I find at least it's really easy for our walls and defenses to just kind of shoot up. And then instead of thinking, what could we learn from this person, or where is this person coming from? Um, what might be valuable about their perspective? We're really just thinking about how can I tell them how wrong they are, or just judging them. Um, there's a you know ancient practice principle of seeking first to understand than to be understood, which was first said by Saint Francis of Assisi in 1200. But that practice, I've noticed, has even been adopted as like a best business practice by authors such as. Uh, Stephen Covey and Patrick Lencioni, there's something so powerful, I think, at the heart of that, seeking first to try to understand uh, before being understood, before like slamming your point at somebody else. And I think that that practice would go a long way in helping us to deal better with conflict in the midst of our polarized world. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and I think, um, you know, Justin was talking about systems in churches and how um, we have to be really careful about hiding things. We, we want to develop good processes and that's, that, there's nothing sexy about that, but that is something that we absolutely need and then to follow them, right? Um, I think at the same time as there's that larger scale, um, I think this really starts with us individually. So. As I reflected on this question, how can we be better at dealing with conflict, I thought, this is, this is really where, uh, like, what does it mean? We preach Christ crucified, right? Well, you don't all go out and preach, so that's not what it's saying. It, it's saying we believe that Christ crucified is at the core of who we are, our identity that Paul lays out at the beginning of chapter one, as we read earlier. But then we practice that by having uh, the reality of Jesus, his death, and his resurrection before us. And as we survey the cross, that's one of our, our favorite hymns around here, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, we are invited in our prayers, in our reflection on conflict we're dealing with in our lives, uh, to change our minds. Like the cross demands practically that we change our mind about something we are sure of or, or we want to get our way in. And that's called repentance. That, that is the Christian practice uh, of pursuing humility in the interests of restoring relationship with someone else and admitting that we're wrong. So confession and repentance go hand in hand. I heard yesterday about a, a book, uh, a new book by Andy Stanley 
entitled not in it to win it, right? So our, our culture says be in it to win it or why bother? That is the weight that a lot of people carry that I need to be a success, I need to make a name for myself in my life. Um, and you never can achieve that. Like that, that is uh, not possible. So um, part of, I think, learning the the realism and the hopefulness of Christian faith is to say that um, I'm not going to win it, but I'm also going to uh, practice... You know how you love to get the last word in an argument? I, you know about that. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, we, we've had discussions like that amongst the three of us, and... Uh, um, Anyone else ever experienced that? You want to get the last word in a discussion? Yeah, yeah okay. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, but not, like, that impulse to get the last word, uh, a way to practice the centrality of the cross that we preach Christ crucified is, is to not open your mouth when you have that impulse. Well, I was going to say, because you, you can win the argument but lose the relationship. Sure. And that's not great. That's us on that question. I've been charged with trying to, you have three preachers up here today. That's a little dangerous. So I've been charged with trying to keep us in line. And you preached so, last week. Yeah, so, I preached yeah. last week. So trying to keep these guys, you know, just the usual day at the office for me. Keeping. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, maybe just one, before we move on to the next section, which I'm also doing, um, my, one, my one thought, the, the word came to mind, um, curious, and that I think curiosity can um, maybe, may, maybe have killed, maybe would have killed the cat, but I, I think curiosity for us is actually a really good thing. Um, and be, being curious when someone asks or says something that you disagree with, that you are alarmed about, you know, inquiring um, in, in a way that is, you know, going to provoke good discussion, even if you don't agree, you know, I think there's good ways to do that. Anyway. So the next number of chapters have, in my view, an overarching theme of freedom and the limits therein. And I think there's a lot for us to explore here. I was, as I was reading through this section again over the past couple of days, I was just so struck with how, um, how relevant this book really is to us. So... Um, I'm going to do like some brief recapping and then kind of uh, another question for the panel here. So at the end of chapter six, Paul's talking about sexual sin and he frames it under the banner of freedom. He says, honor I'm oh, there we go. Turned off for a sec. Uh, he, says, he says, honor God with our bodies because we were bought with a price. Freedom comes with a price. We might have the right to do whatever we want, but that does not mean we should do whatever we want. We are not our own. Our actions have an impact and a ripple effect. And then in chapter 7, there's this fascinating conversation um, about the freedom to marry or not marry. And there's this or exploration of the missional impact of either of those decisions. And Paul encourages those who can remain single. He says, please do so because there's going to be more opportunity and more freedom uh, for gospel work. But Paul also, on the other end, doesn't devalue the importance and beauty of marriage either. 
And then in chapter 8, Alex alluded earlier to the kind of this chapter on food sacrifice to idols, which, again, in our world isn't really about that, but it's steeped in a conversation around rights and freedoms. I can choose to do thing X, thing Y, thing Z, but should I? What, what are the implications of doing that? And then in chapter 9, Paul actually kind of goes, digs into that a little further. He says, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assert my rights. Let me tell you all of the things that I'm about, all of the things that I've done, all the things that I deserve. And he talks quite a bit about those things. And then he abandons all of it. And he says, I have not used any of these rights. Though Paul is free, he chose willingly to become whoever God needs him to be for the sake of the message of Christ. He says, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. And then finally, in chapter 10, which we actually didn't really touch on, um, his, his line of reasoning toward the end of that chapter continues. This is from chapter 10, verse 31. He says, so whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jew, Greek, or the church of God. Even as I try to please everyone in every way, this is critical right here, he says, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. And so all this is to say there's a huge theme here, and it's a big question. And the question is, how do we reclaim a Christ-centric view of freedom in an age where that word seems to have been co-opted? For some other means, and what I mean by that, co what I mean by co-opted is more than ever in my 36 years of existence, I have mer heard more discussions about our liberties and rights and freedoms than ever before. I, I heard some guy. I was pumping gas. I was pumping gas, and there was some guy yelling at all the people at the gas station. Probably started about the prices because you know the prices are high, and he was yelling all about his rights and freedoms, and I wanted to say something to him, but I chose not to. That was me exercising my freedom to not do things. <laughs> anyway, um, I have to just wonder if our modern Western understanding of freedom truly lines up with how Jesus calls us into freedom and how Paul saw freedom. So I pose that question. How do we reclaim a Christ-centered view of freedom in an age where that word seems to have been co-opted? I think one of, to jump off of that, I think one of the things is we've come to equate freedom with no limits. Like just total freedom is be able to do whatever you want and um, don't let anybody put any constraints or tell you what to do. And I just, I don't think that that's true or what we see, as you say, as you're pointing us to the way of Jesus and what's in scripture. Um, this is a quick example that came to mind for me yesterday at our visioning meeting, we were talking about trying to define what we meant by growth and community who we were primarily called to serve. So what we were actually doing was putting some limits and boundaries around those things. And the experience for me was totally one of freedom. It was all of a sudden having some limits and boundaries around the scope of what we were thinking about actually inspired creativity and inspired a sense of like, okay, these are the, this is the sort of bounds that we could operate within. And I think that's true for us also in, in the way that um, Jesus invites us to live, is that there are limits and boundaries in place, and instead of what our culture says, that that's not freedom, 
that that is actually the way to live and the way to live in the fullness of life with him. Um, but it's really, it really does go against that grain of what it feels like our culture says. Yeah, I think we, when we read scripture, whether it's on a Sunday morning or, or uh, individually, um, we're, in a way, we're accepting those limits because we're saying here is a body of literature, uh, different authors, different literary genres um, that make up the Bible, which is, we believe, God's special revelation to us as Christians. And, and um, it's overwhelming how many sources of advice and self-help, I mean, any issue you have in your life, if you Google it, um, who knows where to start, right? But we have said, okay, here is a word from God that we trust, and it takes priority. Um, and so I, I would say that is how we get away from the, the chaos, really, that comes from understanding freedom as the freedoms you do whatever I feel like. Um, we come back to Scripture, and we, on Sunday mornings and throughout the week, in various ways, through small groups, through our own personal reading of Scripture, um, we soak in a true vision of this abundant life that God wants us to enjoy in relationship with Him and, and the freedom that comes from the Holy Spirit. Um, so as we do that, use the word creative, Justin, and um, I think there's a call to us to... We start by focusing on the one who gives gifts, God in all His goodness, rather than what some of us have experienced, which is kind of rules-based Christianity. Um, I mean, that, that's one approach to freedom, is to set up a bunch of rules and say, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, all over the place. But as we are inspired by the Holy Spirit, primarily, um, we tell the story of Scripture. We sing songs. We write music. We create art. We serve in our own ways with our own interests, our own skills, um, and we do all of that to the glory of God. And, and we start to see that God's limits create a harmony that more and more we want to realize within the church. Um, and yeah, we, we pray for that, more of that at court, right? There was one phrase that came to my mind on this question, and it's like literally just a sentence, and then I'll be quiet. Um, but it was this, you know, the question, when do I exercise my rights and freedoms? When, when do I do that, you know? And the, my, the answer that came to my heart was when it's rooted in love. You know, if, if the thing that I'm about to exercise, you know, my right or whatever, if it's not going to be loving to the person around me, I'm not sure that's going to go really well. <laughs> and so that was just something that came to my, my mind as, as I was thinking about that question for myself. So. And that's a great segue into talking about spiritual gifts. We've done this the last three weeks. Um, I mean, Paul's basic point about spiritual gifts is that we need them, that God gives them to us, the Holy Spirit um, offers us gifts so that we can be the people that God created us to be um, in a way to fulfill our purpose and understand better who we are. Um, oftentimes, I think we feel sort of frustrated that, that we're not achieving what we want to. Um, but God says, here is uh, a way of, that I'm going to guide you into 
that fulfillment. Um, so in 1 Corinthians 12, um, there's kind of Paul's basic statement about what the gifts are. He says, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it's the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. So he's, he's pointing there to the unity of God, three in one, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, he's saying we're incredibly diverse, and really what business in the world do we have even being here together this morning? Like, we disagree on a lot of things. So why are we here? Well, because we agree on who God is, and we want to agree more about that and how that plays out in our lives, what that means. And so spiritual gifts are to build up that togetherness. And here, it sounds like maybe Paul's saying a spiritual gift, like one is given to each one of you, but that's not what he's saying. He's saying that everyone is gifted, but you may have more than one gift. You may have a gift for a certain season of your life. Um, there's a mystery to the gifts. And as we were talking about that this week, we realized that um, it's one of these situations where you can be too focused on gifts or, or not enough, you, or, or ignore gifts, or, or have too little focus. So if you're too focused on gifts, you can fall into the trap that the Corinthians did, where really you lose sight of Jesus and the love that is at the heart of who he is and who we're called to be as we exercise gifts. And you can start to feel superior to other people uh, because you may have a certain gift. But if, if you kind of ignore the gifts and you don't really want to deal with that, um, it's also a bad situation because you're, you're not living out the life that God wants you to live out um, for your own good. So what we have as a church community is everything we need. Paul's word in the first chapter to us is that you are equipped for what I'm asking you to do. At the same time, we want to pursue this more. We want to ask for more gifting. And, you know, there are spiritual gifts that are more extraordinary that we might find obviously supernatural that Paul talks about. Um, the gift of healing, for example. There are other gifts that seem sort of more ordinary, like teaching um, or hospitality. And he doesn't mention that one. That's elsewhere in the New Testament. Um, it's probably worth saying, uh, we have alluded to this, but I want to say it really clearly, that uh, in some churches, they don't believe that the more supernatural gifts, if you want to think of them that way, continue. And, and that's a position called cessationism. So the gifts, those gifts ceased. They stopped with the apostles in the early church. At Courtright, we don't believe that. We believe that God can give any gift that he wants to give. Um, and we love to see the more extraordinary gifts and would love to see more of them. Um, now, one thing we should, a distinction we should draw is that there's like a hundred or so of us here today and another, who knows, hundred online. So this is not a place where we can discover our gifts. Uh, what the Christians in Corinth were experiencing was church in a house. I don't know if you've ever been in someone's house with like 20 or 30 people. Um, you get close to them. It's inevitable, right? You're, you're getting to know them, and that's what 
Paul envisions and what we need, this face-to-face relational reality that as you all sit there staring at me, right now you're doing that, uh, this is not a place where we can talk about your gifts, right? Like, um, some of you are making like, really meaningful eye contact with me right now, but, but I'm, I'm, we're not going to be able to have a conversation. It's just not possible in this setting. And that's why we have small groups. That's why at the start of the pandemic, we started neighborhood groups. We want to nurture these face-to-face relationships. And Allison talked about that last week, that, that as we get to know each other, we can speak into each other's gifting and encourage each other. And we can ask these questions, what are my gifts? And, and, and what's the particular challenge for our church and for us individually that God might provide a gift that we hadn't anticipated? You said a gift we hadn't unwrapped yet. You're using the analogy of Christmas gifts. Um, so I want to encourage you, if you're not part of a small group or if you don't have a relationship with someone at Courtright, to, to pray, to ask God to open a door to make that happen. It's not always easy. It doesn't always feel natural. We have a new mentorship program um, called River Crew Mentoring. And through this series on 1 Corinthians, we've seen a bunch of people step up, come forward and say, I want to be part of that. And, and, and at the heart of mentoring is, is figuring out, what do I do with my life? Like, where can I go where God's going to meet me and I'm going to find the joy that maybe I'm lacking? And, and that's always about serving others um, for Paul and from God's perspective. Um, So one of the questions we wanted to ask was, how do we spur one another on? How do we bolster and encourage one another with the gifts and discovering our gifts? Um, And just quickly to jump off what Alex was saying, I got the best email this week from one of our small groups. And after the service last week, they actually went and met together and discussed their gifts with one another. And together they named the gifts that they thought they had and the gifts that they saw in one another. And part of why they were able to do this is just what Alex was saying, is because there was a depth of relationship there, that they were able to speak those things about one another and into each other's lives like that. And those are the kind of relationships we long for people at Courtright to have, to be able to spur one another on in identifying and also and recognizing uh, gifts that they see in one another. And the next thing that group did was that they said they all would like to actually learn more about their gifts from someone else that also shares those gifts and that they were willing to share what they had learned with others. And again, that's exactly the kind of community that we're wanting to be, learning from those more experienced and passing on what we've learned to others. One thing that kind of strikes me as we talk about like how we can you know, encourage each other in this way is like just noticing the people around you, noticing someone's gifts and just pointing it out to them. Sometimes there are things that, I mean, and I, forgive me, Allison, I, I didn't listen to your sermon last week because I was on vacation, <laughs> but um, I, I, I think that I would hope that that would be a normative thing, that when you go up to someone and, and, and you know, that they would be willing to receive uh, your encouragement to say, hey, I've noticed this in you. Um, and that actually one time Allison did that to me. We were in a conversation about something fairly like, you know, intense. And I, and I said something that I had noticed and she's like, do you ever think that that might be a gift for you? And I was like, no, (laughs) um, because I, I had no one had ever said that to me before, you know? And, and it was, you know, I just need, I just needed someone to say, um, that may be something for you to explore. Um, and I would hope that we could all have that kind of connection and relationship with one another where we could say, hey, I'm seeing this in you. We, we, we should pray about that. We should develop that. So. 
Um, unless you have anything else, I think we should probably move to our final point. Did you... I, I agree. Okay, great. Okay. <laughs> so what do you mean by our final point? Our, uh, our uh, right. Final. <laughs> okay, so We're I'm, really prepared. I'm is, saying... Is that the challenges we, that are facing us? I was going to actually suggest we skip the challenges, unless you have a quick thought about that. And... Um, our lovely flag team at the back has given us a cue. Um, they're also helping keep us in line. So if you have a thought about challenges, go for it, but then go into the, our closing thoughts. Really quickly about Thank challenges. You. Great. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think it's important for us to, you kind of did this a couple weeks ago. It was Pentecost, and, and I remember you said, you know, we, Pentecost is one of the great celebrations in, in the Christian year, and, and we, we love to you know, have fireworks and, and troubadours and dancers and lots of celebration. And we, we didn't this year. Some of the, the ways that we worship um, more creatively, we didn't have the capacity this year. You know, we, we've... You can relate to this. We've had COVID on our staff team. We've had... Um, really, right now, at Courtright, we're facing the challenge of, of not being able to do all the ministry that we might want to do because we can all uh, relate to feeling exhausted, I think, after two and a half years of pandemic. Is that fair to say? So we had, we had an elders election, and um, we have had four elders come off of session uh, this year, and as you saw if you were with us a few weeks ago, we ordained one new elder, Dan Lavero, um, and we, we like to have 12 elders if we can, and right now we have seven. So, um, and that's true, we're seeing that across the church, and sometimes when we talk about spiritual gifts in the church, when there's a sermon series on it, it, it it's actually code for like a recruitment drive for new leaders, you know? Um, and that can actually get a little manipulative. I don't know if you've ever felt that in a church setting. Um, we don't want to do that. We, we don't want this to be a guilt thing, but we're genuinely asking how, how can we, um, I believe that when people lead, um, and I mean lead in every way, you know, like the, the person who is cleaning up the dishes is leading as much as the preacher. Um, when we lead out of our gifting, we don't burn out. Um, God gives us joy. He gives us an extra measure of grace. So gifting is critical to this, but also recognizing the circumstances that there's a pandemic um, and, and we may have to make adjustments in what we might want to do. So I guess I'm asking you to pray about this with us, that, that we've seen some key leadership teams at the church um, have people who have just said, we, we can't, we need a break. And we, we haven't seen people stepping into those positions. Um, so would you be willing to do that? In, in the weeks and months ahead to pray about that with us. Um, and, um, and that's part of our, our visioning, really, is, is Allison mentioned that yesterday the elders and uh, the three of us um, met to try to figure out what God is calling us to as a church. And, and one of the central points is that we, we don't want to be a church that's for us, that's just for us. Um, we want to be a church that's really for others. And, and doing things for ourselves just creeps in all over the place. Um, so that, that's something that uh, we're going to share more about the visioning process in the days and weeks ahead, but um, 
that's something that we felt that God is really putting um, before us is how can we be a city that is not just talking about or be a church that is not just talking about being for the city of Guelph, but how can we actually practice that across the board? So, so we've offered an overview today of 1 Corinthians, and I'm going to close with the final chapter, just a taste of what's coming next week. Um, uh, I love The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh, I love all the Chronicles of Narnia um, by C.S. Lewis, but I love The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And um, at one point in that book, um, Aslan um, is has provided gifts, and Father Christmas shows up and gives each of the four children, who are the protagonists in the story, a gift. And, um, and the, the children can't figure out what to do with their gifts. And, but in the middle of a battle with the White Witch, Lucy, for one, one of the four kids, realizes that her gift, this healing ointment she has received, is to bind up the wounded in that battle. And Peter realizes the sword he's given is so that he can, he can lead um, an attack on the evil forces of the white witch. And, and so Paul, I think, is inviting us in the last chapter of this letter to realize that the Christian life isn't just a journey, but it's, it's a battle. It's a battle between good and evil in our own hearts. It's a battle between our Lord and the devil. It's a battle between... Um, all of the temptations in our lives. So sometimes we say that's the, the, the flesh, the world, and the devil. Um, but it's a battle that we're promised that Jesus has won the victory in. So I'm going to read from chapter 15 uh, of 1 Corinthians. Then the end will come, says Paul, when Jesus hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And he goes on. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have this picture in the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians of how the battle ends. And, you know, you can't... Some of you have... have worked on projects. Um, uh, someone told me this week about uh, graduating with their PhD. And I'm, I'm thinking of a long slog. I mean, whatever it is that you're right in the middle of now, um, we have this particular horizon of hope as Christians. It's hope that Jesus has already won the battle, but it's, it's the recognition that we're still struggling, but that we are promised that we will be, that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. Um, not even death. Not, ever, not whatever circumstance you're dealing with right now. So, so I, I want to invite us into a moment of silent prayer now. And um, whatever we've said this morning that, that resonated with you, whether it's for our whole congregation or for you individually, um, I'm going to read uh, a passage from... 1 Corinthians 13, which I think is really my favorite part of this whole letter, um, where Paul gives us a picture of the brokenness and incompleteness of our lives right now um, being filled in 
and being healed and coming face to face with God who knows us and loves us. So I'm going to read this promise that really God has given us that, um, that he is inviting us into a future where we will be perfectly united with him and um, with others and uh, and then we'll have a moment of silence for you to simply pray and ask. Maybe it's asking God for a gift for some challenge you're facing. Um, maybe it's praying for someone in your life who's struggling, but uh, let's, let's read from chapter 13. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Lord, we thank you that you know us fully. You know us in, in all of our self-centeredness, in all of the parts of ourselves that we hide from other people. You know it all, even better than we do, and yet you love us completely. And so now, in this moment of silence, we, we ask you, Holy Spirit, to come and to, to fill in that emptiness right now to give us gifts so that we can serve you in that and help bring that wholeness to someone else in our lives or someone we have yet to meet. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers and give us the unity we see in you, Father, Son, and Spirit, one body in Christ. Amen.